Amen. Amen. In chapters 13 to 17 of John's Gospel, we have Christ alone in the most intimate of fellowship with his disciples. Christ's public ministry had come to an end. And it would only have been natural for these disciples to think his ministry to them had ended also. But Christ in this upper room shows that his ministry to them in love would continue. For in verse 1 it's recorded there that he loved them unto the end. His ministry ended with a supper. While the first thing that will take place whenever the Savior comes again is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Also in the upper room, there are lessons here in verses 8 through 10 concerning justification and sanctification, what those terms really mean. I want you to notice in verse 10 where the Savior says, He that is washed is every whit clean. And the Lord here is referring to that wonderful doctrine of justification. Remember the Catechism, number 33, it reminds us that justification is an act of God's grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins, and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, or put or laid to our account, and received by faith alone. Let me turn you over to First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, where the Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthian believers of even their sinful past. And he speaks then in the verse 11 of those who had been washed. And he, and, and he says to them, firstly, Speaking of their sinful past and the sins of the generation in which they lived, he said, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. It literally means they have been washed once and for all. They have been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. And oh, today could I challenge each and every one of my listeners, both here and even over the internet today, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Is it just as if you had never sinned before God? Are you reconciled to God through the person and the work of his Redeemer, the Lord Jesus? Tell me, are you justified? But I want you to notice also that in the upper room, the Lord Jesus Christ removes their defilement. For I want you to see in the verse number 5, underline the words, and began to wash. And then later on in the verse, underline these words, to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Peter, like every believer, like me, like you, child of God today, merely needed his walk cleansed. He needed to be cleansed from the daily defilement of sin. That's why the Lord Jesus says in verse 10, Needeth not save, needeth not accept to wash his feet. That's sanctification, child of God. That's sanctification. And what a wonderful chapter we have here, full of tremendous truth. 
And in verses 34 and 35, Christ speaks of the love that believers ought to have one toward another. And he gives three arguments why we ought to love one another. And in verse 34, he speaks of a commandment to be obeyed. He says here, a new commandment I give to you. In one sense, it wasn't a new commandment. Because you will recall when you go back into the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 19 and the verse 18, we're told there, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But what does it mean when it says, when the Savior says, for it was Christ who under his authority said, a new commandment I give you. What does the Savior mean here? Well, he's surely speaking of it being fresh. There are some believe that he's speaking of it being rare for the love that Christ had. Only Christ ever loved like this. It was rare because it's something more excellent for the love that Jesus had for me. We often sing to die upon the cruel tree that I a ransomed soul might be. It's more than tongue can tell. Others think that Christ had renewed this commandment. He had lifted it to a level that it had never reached before because he had kept it in all of its fullness. For Christ as God, listen men and women, young person is love. And he fulfilled this commandment as he fulfilled every other commandment for his people. For he fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf. It's a new commandment, a commandment to be obeyed. But notice verse 35, there is a testimony to be maintained. You see, love is one of those distinguishing marks of the child of God. The things that follow salvation in the heart and the life, one of them is love. J.C. Ryle made some very interesting comments. And I can do no better than to quote on what he said concerning these words. And I quote, Our Lord does not name gifts or miracles or intellectual attainments, but love, the simple grace of love, a grace within reach of the poorest, lowliest believer. And there I end that quote. And as our Savior says in verse 35, our love one for another will convince a skeptical world of the reality of the gospel. It will convince a skeptical world that we are Christ. For the Savior said, by this shall all, underline that word all, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. And while there is a commandment here to be obeyed and a testimony to be maintained, I want to show you this afternoon, in the time that remains to us, I want to show you here the theme of loving as Christ loved. You see, in verse 34, he is the perfect example to follow, as I have loved you. When it comes to Christ's example, he had already mentioned this earlier in his discourse here with the disciples. 
He had mentioned his, of following his example. And I want you to notice verse 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Here in this chapter, what an amazing example of love the Lord Jesus Christ leaves for us. Let me show you firstly who he loved. Verse 1 says, having loved his own, which were in the world. His peculiar treasure. We who are members of his body. Those for whom he was, would soon go to the cross and shed his blood for the remission or the putting away of our sins. In other words, his disciples. And I want you to see that he loved his disciples without distinction. He loved them without distinction. Oh, don't lose the significance of that verse. You maybe wondered why we read verse 30 and verse 31. Don't miss the connection here. Because Judas is left. Only 11 now remain. Those who were truly the saviors who were truly his blood-bought children. Notice in verse 33, he speaks of them in a way that he had never spoken of them before and would never speak of them again. He calls them little children. He's speaking here with love and affection and tenderness, just as a father would speak to his child. And despite their differences... He loved them without distinction. And what different personalities they had. Peter the outspoken one. Nathaniel the meditative one. Who Christ saw whenever he was under the fig tree. James and John the sons of thunder. Simon the zealot who wanted to drive the Romans out of occupying his land. While Matthew the very opposite. For he was a tax collector for those Roman authorities. And yet Christ loved them all. I recognize today that there are those of the household of faith that we naturally would have a greater affinity with. Yet we should love all God's children without distinction. I want you to notice also he loved the disciples knowing they would desert him. Verse 1 again, underline that word. It's getting well underlined. He loved them unto the end. The word end. As Zechariah had prophesied, the Lord of hosts would smite the shepherd and the sheep would be scattered. Peter would deny Christ, yet Christ loved Peter unto the end. In the fullest, truest, greatest sense, the words of David about Jonathan are true of the Lord Jesus. You can read them there at your leisure in 2 Samuel 1 and 26. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. For Christ's love is an everlasting love. Oh, I wonder today, am I speaking to a backslider? One who's grown, grown cold in heart, not maybe only in the congregation here, but further afield. 
I wonder, am I speaking to one and you're broken in heart, you're broken in body? Oh, notice how the Lord says that he loved those, verse 1, which were in the world. And today, regardless of your circumstances, Christ loves you with a love that never ebbs nor flows, but a love that is ever and constantly the same. A world of affliction, a world of tribulation, a world that opposes the people of God can never change the constant love of Christ. Well, let me sum it up with the words of this little poem. His love no end or measure knows. No change can turn its course. Eternally the same it flows from one eternal source. He not only loved them without distinction, he not only loved them knowing they would desert him, but he loved Peter who misunderstood Christ. Notice verses 6 to 10. And the teaching in these verses, while they are for Peter first and foremost, it's also for each and every believer in every age. For these things are written and recorded for our edification and learning. And Peter's reaction to the Lord going to wash his feet. Here's what Peter actually said in verse 6. Lord, emphasize the word thou and my. Lord, dost thou wash my feet? That's how he said it to the Lord. You get the idea there. That Peter is, is not happy with the Lord. Peter clearly understood what the Lord was doing. And he went on to say, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And that word never actually means, Thou shalt never to the day, end of eternity. To the days of eternity, Lord. You'll never wash my feet. There's a tremendous emphasis here on what Peter says. But then when Christ speaks to Peter, he flips from one extreme to the very other. Oh, sometimes God's people can be like that too, you know. We can flip from one extreme right over to the other. And so it was with Peter. And the Lord deals compassionately and tenderly with Peter. And he says to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Verse 8, Jesus answered, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. It literally means thou hast no fellowship, no union with me. And today if Christ hasn't washed you and redeemed you in his blood, you're not united to him. You have no fellowship with him. And if you die as you're living, you will be forever banished from him. That's what hell is. You know, it's the same Greek word. I don't want to get bogged down in this one word here. But it's the same word that is recorded in Luke chapter 10 and verse 42. I'm sure you know the incident well that Matthew's, Martha sorry, is cumbered about with much serving. But Christ describes Mary as having chosen that good part. Chosen that good fellowship. Chosen that good union with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I want to remind you today that the words of Peter here that are recorded in John 13, do they not remind us also of what's recorded of Peter in Matthew 16? Remember how that he took the Lord aside, as it were, and he began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. He began to rebuke Christ as he spoke of the cross, and he spoke of his remedy for sin, and that he would have to die the just for we the unjust, that he might reconcile us even to God. And there the Lord had to say unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And in both these incidents, we have Peter opposing Christ and disagreeing with the Saviour. Oh, we're so often like Peter, aren't we? We seem to fall to the old sins. The sin that does so easily beset us seems to always come to the fore. And we're guilty of repeating the same errors. It seems again and again. And how it grieves our souls. But on those occasions what we need most. Is what Christ did to Peter. We just need a dear brother. To put his arm on our shoulder. His hand on our shoulder. And just to take us aside. To help us to understand. To show us there's a better way. And that's what the Lord did with Peter. I, I won't be long on this second point. Our time is flying away so quickly. Not only those he loved, but I want you to notice. I want you to notice when he loved. Verse 1 tells us that his hour was come. That he should depart out of this world unto the Father. He's on the threshold, men and women, of Calvary. Verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. His exalted position. Oh, today we're speaking of the Christ who is heir of all things. The heir of all things. And knowing all the dignity, knowing all the majesty of his person. How great he is, how greatly he is to be praised. Yet he loved them. Isn't that amazing? Christian, we should never be too busy to take time out of love for other believers. Nor can we ever be exalted to any position of power or prominence that we think we are relieved from obedience to this command to love our fellow believers. But let me show you thirdly and finally how Christ loved. How he loved. You see, he was willing to serve others in matchless love. And we should be willing to do the most menial of tasks in love even to the Lord's people. Remember how Mark, that gospel that shows us Christ the servant, remember how that in Mark 10 and verse 45 it's recorded there, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh, think with me today of his condescension in love. A remarkable act of humility. 
the Creator who had formed these feet in the womb, takes them in his hands and washes them. He did this knowing his position. Notice also in verse 4, he laid aside his garments. And I'm reminded today of those verses. We so often turn to them in relation to the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how apt they often are. And in verse 5, let this mind, Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He lays aside the garment here in John 13 and 4, loosing that outer garment, something that was usually done by the Gentile slave, or as they were known, the bond slave. And here he comes, that he might minister to others. But I want you to turn back, if you're not already, in John chapter 13. And I want you to see the verse 5. I don't want you to miss this. Because I want you to notice here in his love, he completed the work. He completed the work. We're told, we've already told you, underline the two words, beginning with W. Notice that he began to wash. And then he went on to wipe them with the towel. He has left nothing incomplete. Christ has finished the work of redemption. All you need to do is trust him. Forsake all other hopes, just trust him. It's all done. It's finished. It's complete. There's nothing you need to add to it. There's nothing you need to take from it. My dear friend, it is a finished work. Remember how Christ in his high priestly prayer further along in John 17 and verse 4, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And I want you to bear this in mind. Oh, maybe today I'm speaking to someone and you're going through tremendous trials as a child of God. I want you to, I want you just to grasp this precious truth today before you leave God's house. And the fact is that Christ completed the work in every individual disciple's life. Did you see it? Verse 5, I want you to notice, he poured out water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And I wonder today, such are the trials. You're, You're wondering if all will end well in the end. You're full of doubts. You're full of fears. You're wondering, will Christ ever complete that work of love and grace Within my heart. Yes he will. Yes he will. Remember how the Apostle Paul could put it. He which hath begun a good work in you. Will perform it. 
until the day of Jesus Christ. We often sing those lovely words, don't we? I don't think we'll have time to sing them for our time is gone, almost. But those words of that hymn 442, his love and time past, forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. Loving as Christ loved. Oh, I trust today the Lord will richly bless, will richly bless his word to each one of our hearts.